Yo, what's happening runners? Welcome back to another episode of The Running Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running. The highs, the lows, the ugly bits and everything in between. My name is Lloyd, I will be your host for today's episode and today we are sitting down and talking with OAC Europathlete and 2020 1500m British champion George Mills. On today's show we chat with George live from his training camp in St Moritz where he's based in the summer with his team and we discuss about his move to OAC and how that changed his approach to the sport he loves, the insight we all want to know when it comes to threshold training and why this really is the holy grail of training in this era and why he is absolutely obsessed with this game and hitting his goals. Now, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Trackster and this podcast, please do head over to Instagram and drop us a follow. And also check out our website, trackster.com, where we put all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. And you can register for our running newsletter so you can keep up to date with all of the worldwide running news. Plus, you can find all of our podcast episodes on there too. And finally, if you want to support the show, please do leave us a review which you can now find available on all major platforms. So without further ado, welcome to the show, George Mills. Welcome to the show, George. How are we doing, mate? Good, mate. Pleasure to be here. It's good, good to catch up, I think. Looking forward to it. No, I really appreciate you, you coming on the show, mate. It's, uh, it's exciting times at Tracks at the moment, and we're, we're trying to get as many people on the show as we can, but um, we've all, always got a bit of favouritism towards the British athletes coming from the UK, <laughs> but... Uh, how, where are you based in the world right now, mate? Where Where are you calling from? So I'm in I'm in San Moritz now. This will be my my base for summer. Be here from well, we got here start of May, and then we'll be here like all summer long, probably until the end of October as well. Until until the weather starts to get bad and the ski season kicks in here. So we'll leave when the good times start. I think. <laughs> what's What's the weather saying over there at the moment? Bit hit and miss. May was May was terrible. Like it was cold as anything felt like we dropped back into midwinter after being down at sea level for a bit and then but now now is summer's finally starting to arrive everything's getting a bit greener needing to use a bit of sun cream so yeah we can't complain love it mate love it all right well we'll start this conversation george where we start pretty much every episode we want to start right at the start um and talk about your journey with sport so where did sport start for you and then how did that eventually transition into athletics? Yeah, so I think football was obviously my main thing growing up, obviously, because of my dad and everything that was involved in that. So from a young age, I was always outside kicking a ball, playing and that sort of thing. And that was like my main my main focus, really, until I was like maybe 14, 15. I just wanted to play football all the time, like probably like most kids, to be honest, mate, like. It's a pretty normal transition, like playing your your local club and then seeing if you're half decent or not. So, yeah, unfortunately, maybe I say unfortunately, I I enjoy this life now, but wasn't meant to be with football. So, kind of fell into running at like 15, 16, I guess, and and then got got really stuck into that. Fell in love with it after getting a few de- decent results, and then yeah, and I say it snowballed from there, and then this is where we are today, I guess. You mentioned there about, about your dad, but also your brother's now a footballer for Everton. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll be catching up. Hopefully, don't score the winner against Luton this season. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know when they play? Did you look? Or? The fixtures came out yesterday. Um, I've not looked as far as Everton, but we're opening up. Yeah. We're actually playing Brighton in our first game away at Brighton. So I chatted to my dad today about having a weekend down on the seaside. So it's all exciting times at the moment until we get bashed 5 0. <laughs> You, you, ah, you never know, do you? You never know. 
You never know, mate. That's right. Um, you mentioned there that obviously you started with football coming from, from a football household, but what mm. was it about athletics that grabbed you? And maybe that's still consistent today. I think it was that you, you have the ability to con control your own destiny in some sort of way. Like if the onus is purely on you to put in the work and then when you get the results, obviously, obviously we have a team around you now, but it's like, the vast majority of you is it's like within your control, whether like it's all about how hard you work, how many hours you put in, how much you're going to train. And then, yeah, you immediately leave. Like you can't blame other people if like you have a bad race or something like that. It's all, it's all on you. So I think it's, uh, for me, it was like being able to take like full ownership of everything and just accept like full responsibility. And there are, I suppose you do have a lot of ownership over your destiny with athletics with, you know, the training you're doing and the races you can do and the, how hard you basically want to work. But there are some things that are out of your control, you know, injuries, illnesses, sometimes how races um, pan out. When you think of some of the more negative things that have happened in your career, maybe just tough times in your head or an injury or a shitty race, mm -hmm. who are the people in your life that you turn to to, to say, Look, I need I need some help here. I need I need someone to calm me down. Is it is it is there anyone that pipes to mind? Um. So growing up, growing up, obviously in like the earlier stages of my career, and I, I'm actually still now as well. Like my dad has a big influence on that. Like we're really close. We talk about things a lot, a lot about training and a lot about how to deal with like adverse situations that come up because obviously that's like a regular thing in sport. Like there's always people say you have more lows than highs, don't you? So all about how you deal with with those sorts of things but yeah I'd say as I've developed and got a little bit older you start to understand things a little bit more yourself and within the new new team and environment Tom's Tom's probably a guy that I talk to a lot to bounce ideas off and um, talk I think he's got a lot of good experience and I like how he he puts things across so we we communicate in that way quite a lot as well. And we'll touch up on your on your teammates later in this conversation but whilst we're on topic George did when you moved over to OAC Europe, and as I say, we'll, we'll go into this in, in deep context later on. Did you know any of your teammates at all, personals on a personal level, or had you raced them before? Or I think I'd raced, I'd raced Tom once, but I, I think that's the only guy I've spoken to briefly. But it was more just like a, a passing conversation after a race. So yeah, when I joined, I had no no personal relationships with anybody. It was all completely new slate, to be honest. But that was pretty cool. And I think the amount of times that we've spent, the amount of time we've spent together, you build up those relationships and learn to work together really well. I love that. I love that. You, um, you've had a great career to this point, George. It's not been smooth sailing. I know you've had your injury issues over the years, but, and I think that when you're running well, um, as you, as you are, it's easy to forget about those tough times, you know, forget about the injuries that may have been three or four years ago because you, you've gone through the other side, but, You've been successful at things like English schools, European junior titles. And if we go more recently as a senior, you've, you've won the outdoor British champs, you've won the indoor British champs. But look at your career as a whole to this point, and you're seriously still very young. But what's been the highlight for you to this point? Well, I think saying now, probably the highlight was, well, I think you mentioned the highlights there. It's difficult to put my finger on on one of them because I think everyone is is very different like obviously like youth 
track and field is like obviously different to the senior level and like once you get to the seniors you kind of forget about it a little bit I think and you kind of think okay I always need to prove myself every year and obviously the British champs thing is like okay yeah, it was a COVID year so I, I take it with a bit of a pinch of salt like it wasn't at the same it wasn't the same standard as it is every other other year because a lot of the top guys didn't show up so I think I think it's difficult to say like what my top top highlight is but I'm really happy with how things are progressing and I'm, I'd say it's possibly joining OAC as well because I think this was a really cool opportunity and I think how everybody in the team is developing and actually being able to be part of a team in what's classically an individual sport is something really special. Yeah, I think that your move to OAC was a bit of a trailblazing moment for a lot of fans in the UK because we we know many sprinters that uh, work overseas with various different groups. We know a lot of distance athletes go to NCAA and work and, and continue to work in America, but moving to a European-based team, ultimately not too far f- further afield mm-hmm. um, to further your career after being successful in the UK speaks volumes for your, for your desires and your, on your goals. I'm going to talk about your career prior to that because you were successful in the UK. You know, you was coached uh, by John Big based in Brighton, for many years, you were training with athletes like Elliot Giles, Charlie Grice, Spencer Thomas, real serious athletes that were, were, were running well mm-hmm. in, in their own right. You also won the British title outdoors, as you mentioned, but also the indoor title too. In that move to OAC Europe in at the start of 2022, uh, 2022, you also moved sponsors. So you moved from Nike over to On Running. Talk us through that move and why was it the right decision for you at that time? So... Yeah, obviously, I've like had a really good time down in Brighton. I'm really thankful for how John and Dan developed me from like a. I think I joined 18 and then left at 22, 21, 22, maybe. So, yeah, and we had some good times, and they probably had me at the most difficult time of my career when you're trying to transition from like a a junior to a senior. You're getting lots of different injury issues and almost like starting to learn the trade of how to be actually a professional athlete rather than just a, a club athlete coming through school and, and those sorts of things because I think there is a is a difference in how you have to approach things but in all honesty mate it was it was a simple a simple thing like my contract was up with Nike I had an offer it was I think it was my only offer on the table from on to join this team so it was like okay yeah, if I want to take take this sport seriously then I need to jump into this environment and then see if I can make the most of it. So I wouldn't say that I was looking to move coach or move environment. It's just this opportunity came up and it was, I'd say it was like pretty good timing in the case that I was available to move and didn't have any commitments um, get in the way. And I just decided to to jump in head first and then kind of see what would happen. And talk us through your new coaching setup. We'll, we'll go into the training side of things uh, later on in this conversation, but yeah, Talk us through that relationship you have with you, with your new coach, who that new coach is, um, and what were the early conversations like with him when you turned up and ultimately the coach has to sit you down and be like, that this is how we're going to do things. Yeah, so we had a we had a few obviously had a few phone calls before everything was like officially signed and everything was agreed because obviously you need to explore explore options and you can't just go into something blind and. I don't know what you're getting yourself in for, but 
yeah, so coach Thomas Thomas Dreisiger, a German German guy. So yeah, we 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 just spoke about like how training would possibly look, like what his plans were, and it was almost like we didn't have we hadn't really signed any athletes at that point to the team. I think I was maybe the first or second athlete in, so it was kind of difficult to gauge on like okay, who are my training partners going to be? Because obviously had some like world class athletes training within the past, like as you mentioned, Charlie, Elliot, Kyle, Spencer, et cetera, like these guys were top level performers. So it was, I already had something like pretty, pretty good in place. So I was like, okay, if this is going to be something that's going to be even better then I really need to like explore and look into to everything like that. But obviously with him being a non-native English speaker, his English is good, so we can, we can communicate fine. But it was, um, it was interesting to learn like how the plans were to be like fully professional and like really, really jump into the, the team environment as well to like pretty much spend all year based at altitude, which I think is a bit of a, a game changer, which you don't really get the opportunity to do. And then also to have like world-class teammates around you, which obviously came through later on. I found out who we'd be, be working with. And just so that, I mean, I understand, but also our listeners understand you were, you were a professional athlete prior to the move and you're now still a professional athlete, but you just said mm-hmm. there that one of the main changes is that you spend a lot of the year at the altitude. Why, why was that not a thing prior to, to the, to the new group? So I think, obviously, I think it's just a, a budget thing as well, times and a timing and yeah, obviously just mainly a budget thing to, to be honest, like um, being able to spend like pretty much all winter based out of South Africa in in Dolstrom and then spend all summer in San Maritz. We all know Switzerland isn't the cheapest place in the world. So without on, I don't think this would be be feasible at all. But And I think it's also having like, maybe it could have been possible then you're not going to have like your coach, your team around you in the past. You're going to be very much individual. And I don't think that that's the best way to go about things personally. So now like all the team live in the same apartment block here in San Maritz. So like we're working with each other day in, day out and living together. So, so it's a really good environment to be in. And and moving from Brighton to, to overseas, George, I mean, you don't have one particular spot all year round. You know, you mentioned off camera, you're in St. Moritz in the summer, um, South Africa in the winter, uh, obviously racing all over Europe. Um, so your passport's getting a good going. But <laughs> when you initially moved over from the UK, did you struggle at all being away from friends and family? Um, Not really, to be honest. I Because I knew, I really had like in the feeling in my gut that this was like the right decision if I really wanted to take my career seriously. And like I've made like I instantly clicked with the guys on the team, so it was like okay, I've just got a class new set of mates. Like, like especially like me, Robert, and Tom straight from the off like clicked and worked together every day. And then um, we've had Luke, Luke McCann just join um last last winter as well, so he's a great lad to be around as well. And then we have Sebi, Noah as well, and we all we all mix together really well, mate. And it's I wouldn't say that people miss being at home or miss their friends. So like we all we all have that goal and we're all working towards it and we all, we all have good crack with each other as well. One thing I've noticed, George, is that the content game is considerably improved. Um, <laughs> the content, yeah. the content game within the crew is solid. Who is the, uh, who's, who's the main 
put sort of uh, force behind that. Would you take credit for that, or is there someone with a little bit more <laughs> Mate, artistic? Not me. Not, not me at all. So we actually work with um, a content creator called Lella. Oh, well, she's called Le- Leia, but her Instagram handles Leia underscore Labs. So we've been working with her for a while, and she's she's world class, mate. Like she she edits all of like Robert's YouTube stuff and and does all of those sorts of things. So yeah, I, I can't take any credit to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> she makes you look pretty that's all you need exactly mate yeah exactly we all need a little helping hand every now and again those instagram filters they don't do the job anymore (laughs) yeah she's she whips open the laptop and like sticks on a good filter and all of a sudden i actually look half decent maybe (laughs) i'll have to i'll have to drop her dm see if she's got any see if she's got any time spare to help us out um the oac europe group uh obviously it's like a a branch of the oac team from the states that we saw before their group um, mm-hmm. launched. Um, they seem to be a group that they're big advocates of modern day training. Now, obviously we only see snippets, you know, on social media and, and bits and pieces like that. But we see a lot of the training from the likes of like Jakob and the Norwegians with the double threshold training, monitoring lactate, yep. but really pushing the boundaries of what professional athletes are really capable of in the endurance side of things. Can you talk us through what a general training week looks like for you leading into the track season? So maybe not quite now, including, you know, I don't know how much info you, you know, you're keen to give, but whether you can give us any insights in volume, workouts, things like that. Yeah. So we're, we, we aim to keep, yeah. So we have actually a pretty similar training style to the Inga Britsons. I think that's a philosophy and a style that coach, really likes and understands and I think it works for like a lot of us guys looking at it and girls looking at it now so I think yeah so in a in a classic week we usually have we'll have two double workout days they're usually double threshold days and then everything around that is mostly just higher higher volume easy running whether that's like 10s 15s 20 20ks a long run in there and those sorts of things and usually like we we usually get up to around like in peak base phase we can be anywhere between like 160 to 180 k a week so yeah maybe i've I've had to switch from miles to k's obviously moving to a european coach so i can't can't remember exactly what it is in miles but yes i'd say it's it's slightly different to what i was used to because i'd say this is like a very controlled training system like whereas like i'm getting getting measured every session and trying to almost keep the lactate to a level of not going too high so I can actually like stack the days the days together whereas before it was more about like okay yeah we need to get the intensity we need to hit the splits whereas now it's the focus is more on like hitting the weekly volume and and getting like the big double threshold days in for anyone that doesn't understand kilometers that's about 100 to 110 miles per week 160 to 180k so it's a big volume there George and you sort of brought me nicely onto my next question. Um, you said that it's quite uh, slightly different to what you were previously doing, where you were a bit more intensity hitting splits. It's quite common that we see that in the UK way of training. I think that things are changing in the UK slowly. I think that athletes... I'm, not, I'm not, I'm also not, not saying it's better at all. I think everybody's like very, very individual as an athlete. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think for depending on the athlete you are, depending on what needs you, you have, I think it's, depend like the training systems very very dependent like we all everyone in the group we have the same basis of system but everybody has like little tweaks here and there to tailor on what works best for them 
with you having success in the UK um, and uh, and the way that you were training with John, which you'd done for a few years, especially through that transition of junior into senior, and then moving over to this new way of training, which obviously, you know, there's a lot of hype around it at the moment, and there would have been when you moved over. Was there ever a time where, um, you know, were you confident from the off? Were, were there ever sort of doubts in your head whether you would react well to this type of training? Um, honestly, I didn't, I didn't really know. To be honest, I was I was really intrigued because obviously I knew obviously it's very, very obvious like how successful like the Inga Britsons and like the Norwegians are all coming through um in various endurance sports now as well. So I was I was just intrigued to try it and see what see what the like the hype was all about, to be honest, and see if it was like really, really something to get behind them. And now I'm now I'm fully immersed in it. Like I think it took me probably over a year to fully adapt to the system and get used to the training that we were doing but but now I really feel like I enjoy it I really understand like the markers of of each training session and like really follow what what coaches say and you mentioned there that year to adapt one of the questions I wanted to ask you was because I see a lot of forums talk about this way of training and and how more recreational athletes or sub elite athletes can adapt it to their to their plan because it's not as easy as just going from you know, wherever you were to 160 Ks a week and two mm-hmm. double threshold days in that year period where you was adapting, what was some of the, not downsides, but what were some of the the things that you, you found were, were tough? I, so I actually, in that, in that first year, especially the first like six, seven, eight months, I was picking up like little colds here and there, like little bits of sickness, like not, not, not really many niggles or anything. I managed to avoid that we had like had a good a good physio with us so I was able to keep tabs on that but it was more just like the energy levels in the body I struggled with at times and like actually like it just took took time for me just to realize okay it's like this is actually like normal now rather you think okay I can maybe get a bit of rest in here where it's just like a more of a continuous continuous program did you did your diet have to change at all, George? Like the way you're fueling if you're doing big double session days? Man, I'm honestly eating so much now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I didn't in the past. In the past, I thought I ate a lot, but like now, I just, I just don't think I can put enough away. To be honest, like the amount of training and the amount of like continuous load that we carry, carry throughout training is just like a, a big difference. So I can't I'd say like fueling is like crazy important. Like we all like recovery shakes like carbohydrate drinks gels like everything you think of we're trying to like help ourselves to try and able to actually like do the be able to do the training to be honest yeah it's kind of like um well calories are fuel at the end of the day and with exactly, the, amount, yeah. the amount of expenditure you'll get from running 160 k's but not just 160 k's but big double size sessions you can you need to fuel almost the, twice yeah, I, I don't i don't think it's like refueling for the just the session itself like i think mm. it's like the whole recovery recovery package around it that you need to like actually remember to fuel as well and look after yourself outside of the just the the, the training i think that's great advice george for anyone that's listening that maybe is considering dipping their toe in that side of training or that maybe they've started it already i think that that's a big part of it that maybe isn't um as sort of doesn't have as much spotlight on compared to just mm-hmm. the, the way of training um yeah Previously, we mentioned that uh, obviously you were, you was a Nike athlete for many years when you when you were British champion. You're now with On. Um, you mentioned that 
one of the differences is obviously you spend a lot of time at altitude, but are you able to give us any insight into what are some of the other differences that you've noticed working with on? So obviously I signed, I signed with on and signed to OAC Europe as well. So obviously they provide like a full team set up with training partners, coach, physios, mental coach, like pre- pretty similar to how things go in the U S with all the professional teams out there. So I think, I think that's a really cool thing to be able to do in Europe because I really don't think it's so so common. I don't know if there's many many other teams like it within within Europe. So I'd say that's like the biggest game game changer for me. But just be, being able to, to work with on, I think they're a really like they're an upcoming um, upcoming brand. Like they're they're really pushing to try and be one of the best brands in the world. And like we we work regularly with the development guys, apparel, shoes, everything like this to really help them and they help us to to become the best athletes and best brand that they can be i guess and it's clearly working for yourself george because you're off the back of a couple of pbs recently you set a 1500 meter pb this year 333 uh in germany and then just recently a few days ago you ran 1318 for your 5000 meter track debut in paris you must be happy to start seeing that training with your new group pay off and the rewards come in the form of pbs yeah, of course. Yeah, it's obviously like a nice little reward to be able to seeing that the work that you've been put in, been putting in over the last year, year and a half, has like come to fruition now, and you may be seeing some some decent results on the track. But to be honest, mate, I, I'm not really getting like caught up in running PBs or anything like that. The only focus for me now is like keep keep training, keep working. Obviously, we have British champs in I think three weeks' time, so. Yeah, it's either make the world's team or don't. So that's what the main focus is on. I love that. That's good, mate. And we mentioned the 5K in Paris. We spoke off camera about how hard you found it. And it obviously, it's new world for you. You've never done a 5,000 on the track before. Um, going into that race, stacked start list, super fast pace, a set at the front. Did you have a goal time in mind or was there just a race strategy of just getting on it? Um, So I said... I said to the guys before, I'd be like, okay, if I run sub 13, 20, I'll be pretty happy. Because I knew from the training we've been doing, like the work we've been putting in over the last few months, I knew that was like, that should be like a pretty solid possibility. Like if I perform to any sort of level that we've been training at, I knew that should be what, like there or thereabouts is where I should be. But obviously executing, that's a completely different thing. And yeah, that that race was pretty crazy. We had a, I think we had thirty four guys on the start line, and obviously used to maybe fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and a fifteen. So it was busy to say the least. But I just had to like my my main focus was okay. Don't don't go off like an idiot and start too quick and mess your race up in the first case. So I I really tried to hold back and and build through the race. But yeah, the point I remember a point where it was like seven laps to go or something. I was like, mate. How am I going to manage this? <laughs> That's the 5K, my friend, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll there... be back, though. I, I enjoyed it. I think I'm, I'm excited to give another one a crack. I think there's there's more there at some point. I would I would say so, too, with it being your first one. And that my next question was genuinely, do you see yourself sticking to the longer races or are you still keen to run fast over the 800? Obviously, you can do the 815 or the 15.5. Where do you see yourself now? Um, I'd probably say I'm more of a 15, 5k guy in how we train and like how yeah. I've progressed in the last, in the last year. I think 
I think there would be a decent 800 in there, but it's just finding the time within like the racing schedule to be able to maybe tailor the training a little bit to, to try and hit one. But I think if you look at the broader spectrum of like 1500 meter running 5k running, everybody's more endurance focused anyway. So I think like the top guys are a 15, 5k guys anyway. So I think you, I think it's a smart decision of us to like focus more on that area. You mentioned uh, world champs later this year, Budapest. We've got British champs coming up in just a few weeks' time. You've won it before on the in- and the indoors and the outdoors, so you know what needs to be done. Do you think that having that experience that you've got from winning sets you up for success, or do you find it to be some form of added pressure to try and win again? Um, I actually, I actually don't think anything of it to be honest. I think every every championships, every British champs is different. Like you don't know what everyone else has been doing going in like everybody I, I expect everyone to be in the shape of their life so like I, you have to just be best prepared you can so yeah I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's so easy to look back on past past races and and those sorts of things and like be able to pull on on different experiences like that I think I just need to go into the race with like a clear head and just try and execute the plan on the day and then we'll see if that's good enough or not I love that, my friend. I love that. Okay, that's that's brilliant, George. I mean, that wraps up our, uh, our sort of more running specific part of uh, of the interview. We're going to go into a little bit more, less serious stuff now, if, if that's all right with you. Now, obviously, with your dad being a professional footballer in years gone by, your brother being a professional footballer for Everton, you've probably and you being a professional athlete, you've probably mixed in and around some pretty cool people here and there. So, my question is. What's the most famous number in your phone? Famous number in my phone. Not your dad. Well, yeah, I, I don't actually. I don't think my phone looks actually so good. To be honest, I can have a quick look. Maybe it's someone in the running world. Who knows? Oh, mate, yeah. I mean, it probably would if you actually looked at it just from the outside. It probably would. I'd have to say my dad, to be honest, but I don't know who else. Who else would be in there? It's mostly just the guys I've trained with, to be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd have, I mean, I'd have to say my dad. If if that counts, yeah, <laughs> we'll let you to. have that. We'll, yeah. we'll let you out. We'll let we'll let you have that. Yeah, I look through and I don't actually. Yeah, don't have so many numbers, so that's Sorry all right. We'll let, we'll, we'll, we'll let you maybe a bit of a letdown there. That's all right. I'm sure he'll be absolutely buzzing to hear that. In fact, we yeah. We uh we are we put out a story earlier and we got some quick fire questions um from from the people that reached out. In fact, one of them was your dad. Um, he said, "Who, <laughs> who's your favorite parent?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. No comment because that'll probably <laughs> that'll, that'll cause a big argument. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't want that. We don't want to be causing. Uh, don't, I don't I don't want that. Issues. I don't want that baggage. Yeah. No, but one of the questions, more serious questions, George, that we did get asked was, um, what pace is your threshold pace for your double threshold days? So that's obviously changed a lot. So a lot of my, obviously mine's most of the threshold pace that I know is uh, at altitude. So mm. like, I don't know what the, what the conversion is to sea level, but say, say I'm trying to hit like a stable, a stable threshold i'll usually be running around three minute k's most of the time whether that's for like 2k reps 1k reps like that's the sort of 
sort of pace I tried to gauge and, and work off most of the time. Yeah, that is rapid for altitude. <laughs> that's moving. That's moving. Okay, mate. So in terms of passions outside of running, because you do a lot of training, you do a lot of running, your whole life is immersed within the sport. You know, I'm sure your whole Instagram feed is just running. What other passions do you have? Do you know what? Is, I, I get this question asked a lot and I I always think I sound so boring whenever I answer, but I may, I'm just like so invested in this career and the goals that I have that I honestly don't do much else outside of it. Like every a lot of the time the guys are like, oh, do you not want to do you not get bored? Do you not want to go do something else? And I just I just feel like I need to I want to be so focused on this one goal and just really like see what I can do and see if I can make it make it to a, a British team, a world champs final, Olympic team. Like that's that's the dream. So I just want to throw the kitchen sink at it and maybe I'll reflect after. But yeah, I guess maybe I, I enjoy I, I watch football all the time and when the season's kicking off, I'll get get the Premier League Champions League. But yeah, other than that, not not so much else to be honest, mate. <laughs> bit okay. bit boring, not gonna lie. No, it's all right. It's okay. No, it's, it's got your head screwed on the, the, the sport the, the sports the passion, yeah. That's fair enough. And last question before we go into our uh, our quickfire round is um, let's think, let's say you're scrolling on TikTok or you're looking for something on Netflix or maybe on YouTube or whatever. What's your guilty pleasure um, thing to watch when, I don't know, you sat on the toilet? What's what's the go-to? So I've, I've got really, I've got really into a series recently. My, my best mate called me maybe a couple of weeks ago and was like, oh, found this series called Entourage. I don't know if you've heard of it or seen it. It's like from like 2004 or something. I right, think the first one. Oh, mate, I got got stuck into that. That's, that's class. And I think if you're a lad watching that, you probably have a little bit of FOMO from how these guys are living their life. Living um, the dream. Yeah. Also, also I've, been, I've been watching, Um, I don't know if you've seen it, there's this bloke running like the length of Africa. The hardest geezer. Mate, yeah, I've been watching all of his YouTube channel and stuff. And Mental, like, isn't he? This, mate, this bloke's class. And I'm also watching that thinking, what a cool thing to do. Like, that's that's something pretty special as well. So I'll, I'll watch that a little bit. So I don't know, if, don't know if that counts as a guilty pleasure watching more bloody running. It definitely but... does. It definitely does. <laughs> yeah. That's a different sport completely, mate. He was he went for a piss last week on the side of the road and there's blood in it. Poor guy. That's when you know you're working, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that's when that's when you know that's when you know the lactate's too high. <laughs> oh yeah, Proper I love that. Shift. Absolutely. All right, mate. So to finish off, we're gonna we're gonna finish off with our quick fire questions. Five questions we ask our guests all the same, and I just want you to think of the first thing that pops into your head. All right. So, if you had a magic wand, what's one thing you'd change in athletics? I'd like to see team-based competitions, like. We actually we talk about it pretty regularly. How like obviously we're always to Europe, and then you have various other teams. You have all the yeah the teams in the US. You have OAC in the US, uh, for example, as well. Like I think it would be really cool. Maybe at the end of the the calendar, once all of the Diamond League events, World Champs, whatever have have all finished, that you maybe have like a little series of of events over a couple of days, whether you have like four by a mile, four by eight hundred, and everybody jumps in from the different teams and gets gets really stuck into it. I think that could really build the sport and get some get some fans and backing for, for various teams as well. That's a good answer, mate. Yeah, I hear that a lot in my circles of, of so much desire to see that over here. But it's kind of like, 
someone's got to do it. Someone's got to be the yeah, catalyst, don't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. To to get it to get it rolling for others to to similar similar to the to the training model. Like you know, enough people do, start doing it, enough people start talking about it, and then it's like curiosity curiosity comes around and people start getting involved. So hopefully we we see it into the future. Number two, my friend, what's the best thing about being a professional athlete? I'd say traveling and teammates. Like traveling and the fact that you get to see, I mean, you don't get to see everything when you go to a place, but you get to travel to so many different cities, so many different experiences, get to work in different places almost every week if you're racing on the circuit. So I'd say it feels like a really free and, and special special job in that sense and then having teammates who you're working with day in day out and you probably build like friendships for a lifetime i'd say because you share like really personal experiences and and things like that and flip scale what's the worst thing about being a professional athlete uh, the worst what's the worst i'd say it's difficult to say the worst i think I think there's obviously various things that are like pretty tough. Obviously, you'd like you said earlier, like having big injuries and maybe not making teams and and those sorts of things. But oh, I can't actually think the worst thing. Maybe maybe I can think of the worst thing that most people would say is maybe that you don't get to do so much of a a normal life most of the time. Like you have a a lot of the time, like you're on camp, you're, you're training, like you can't do certain things because you maybe have a session the next day or you have to go to a race. But I don't know if I'd say that was the worst thing because I'd say like you're doing what you enjoy in that sense. But I'd maybe say, yeah, I think I think it's when you're in the real hard times, maybe if you're injured and you don't feel like anything's going for you and you're just almost maybe thinking, okay, maybe this this isn't for me. But I'd say maybe just keep, I'd say keep plowing away and maybe you'll get there eventually. What's a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear? Uh, I'd think, I say, take everything, take responsibility for everything that you're doing. Like, I think it's quite, quite easy to, to blame other people when things don't go well or something hasn't happened, but at the end of the day is you're the only person who can control what you're doing when you're there racing on the track. And you're the only person who can motivate yourself to put in the work and, and make the sacrifices you need to make. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that. Good advice that mate. And last question to round this interview off, George, what's one thing that you would have liked to achieve in your life in 10 years time? Um, 10 years time. Hopefully I'll still be running by then. I always joke with all the other lads that I'll move up to the marathon eventually. So <laughs> hopefully still be running, but 10 years time, I, I don't like to say, obviously I want to make well, world Olympic teams, hope challenge for medals and, and these sort of things. But I just really want to know that I've put everything into my career. And then at, like in 10 years, I can look back and be like, okay, I didn't leave any stone unturned. I really maximized everything that I had and my potential. And then I think I'll be pretty content with whatever results I get.
Yeah, it sounds like you're well on the way to that, George, especially with you being out in the, in the OAC Europe group. But um, thanks ever so much for joining us. Best of luck for British Champs in just a few weeks' time. Hopefully catch you for a little interview after you smash it there, my friend. So best of luck, mate, and I'll see you down the road. Sure, mate. Be cool. See you then. Cheers, mate. Yeah, mate. Thank you for joining us this week for another episode of The Running Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things running. The highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Big thanks to our guest, George Mills, for his time on the show today. And if you've enjoyed today's listen, please do leave us a review and head over to our Instagram, at Trackster, to keep up to date with what we're up to. I've been Lloyd, your host of the day. I'll catch you down the road for a run and a chat. But in the meantime, go and have a cracking week, runners.